was long. <laughs> I had to stop that. Welcome everybody to back in, oh, not back in tunes, uh, Full Throttle TV. I had the wrong show too. Uh, I am your host, Michael, and my co-host. Ron. <laughs> that, that song went on for so long that I actually got amnesia to which show we were doing. <laughs> um, that, that's weird. Theme songs are usually like 15, 30 seconds. That was, that was pushing a minute and still going. Oh my gosh. But I have to say this, it's getting funky up in here. Funky. Getting a little sweaty. I like funky. I liked it. <laughs> you know what? That is not the original theme song. I was watching the first season, and you barely know there's a theme song going on. It like starts off with a car chase and slowly goes into this really dull, lifeless theme song. And I Dark. was like, no wonder I don't know this, the song that well because it's not memorable. But then this one must have come in like later in the season or second season. I've, I've been picking up. I, what I did is, okay, I sound, I sound terrible right now to any fans that love Starsky and Hutch, which is the show we're discussing. We're also discussing Hardcastle and McCormick. Um, I, it's impossible for me to cram the entire series in before a show to remind myself. Uh, so I grabbed like a couple episodes from the first season, second, third, and fourth, just to get a feel of how the show went along. Did you, what episodes did you watch? Uh, I've watched a couple out of the second, uh, no, first season, then one out of the second. Um, unfortunately, didn't have enough time for the rest of them. But well, you you had spring break with the kids and your anniversary, yeah. so I can see that. We actually had something else planned, but things didn't work out. We were going to do a whole retrospective on the Fast and the Furious series, but I think we're going to have to wait until probably until it comes out on video or something like that. Right. Uh, but for now, we're going to stick to full throttle TV, and we decided to pick a couple quick uh, buddy cop shows to discuss uh both were kind of short-lived considering how well known they are i'm surprised at how the, sh the sh i mean four seasons is not very long for a tv show not at all uh night rider was on for four seasons but a lot of these shows you know it was like seven eight uh i don't i, I kind of understand why hardcast and mccormick didn't last long but starcy and hutch even to the very end was a very strong show yeah growing up i think i've only seen a few shows of that now I knew everyone knows the car, of course. But. Right. And, of course, there was the 2004 remake with Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. I really know that movie very well. But finding episodes actually seems it was kind of hard until recently. I picked up season one for, like, five bucks, brand new, because uh, a different company licensed the rights, and they're putting them in stores for dirt cheap. Uh, where'd you find it? Um, well, there's a, there's a franchise up here called Bymarked. It's um, kind of like a miniature Costco where you pay like a, a small fee to get in. The prices are really dirt cheap. But and is mini Costco like actually Walmart or <laughs> what? It's like a mini Sam's Club is Walmart. You know? Yeah, no, anyway. true. <laughs> um, yeah, buy Mart, but these something like Fred Myers is also a franchise up here. Well, I'm not helping any at all. But no, you can probably find it online. They're selling the entire series, all four seasons, in this really cool set. Uh, I think for like thirty five dollars. So that's a pretty good deal for all four. Awesome deal. Uh, so, Starsky and Hutch, the one thing that's groundbreaking about the show is the fact that they took out the sterileness of cop shows. I think a lot of cop shows had the feel of Dragnet, where right. it was very, like, bone dry, and there was no real, uh, you know how Law and Order is, where it's just the case, you don't really get involved in the characters' lives? I think Not too much. That's the way the shows used to be. They used to be very, like, almost clinical in their approach. Right. But, and Starsky and Hutch was the first show i think to really approach hey you know what what would it be like if you treated this like real life like two guys that hang out with each other all the time and a freebie and the bean have you ever seen that movie 
Never heard of it. Oh, Freebie the Bean is Alan Arkin and James Caan, and the writer decided to treat them as if they were a married couple because they've been partners for like 15 years, and they would bicker like a married couple. Well, uh, Starsky and Hutch kind of has that feel, but they're more like brothers. Now, I right. imagine if you and I were cops, this is how we would be. <laughs> you know, kind of wise. We take the job seriously, but at the same time, we kind of like poke each other, rib each other about little things. And right. and, and they weren't uh, afraid of being like, it's like the first show to have a bromance. You know, like guys that were just sensitive <laughs> right. to each other. Now, some people treat it like it's a little, you know, what's that all about? But it's just like two guys that weren't afraid to just be normal dudes. Right. Instead of like, you load this up, we're tough guys. Yeah, let's kick some butt. <clears throat> How about them bears? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's one thing that really I, I find appealing about the show is that it still stands up now because bromance, you know, uh, people who act like normal partners, that's how TV shows and movies are now. Right. Like, you know, Nash Bridges. You watch Nash Bridges, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like that. Those guys had kind of that, like that brotherly feel. They're partners, but at the same time, their lives are kind of intertwined. You know, they'd see each other off uh, off the clock. Another great car show. Yeah, we, we should discuss that one later. I think we're going to do Miami Vice and Nash Bridges. It seems like a perfect combo. There we go. Uh, Starsky and Hutch. What's that? How can we tie Cheech into that? <laughs> <laughs> any, any way we can. If we can find a way to put Cheech in anything, we're going to do that. That's right. Uh, William Blinn is the creator of Starsky and Hutch. Now, it was surprising about... Uh, it, it's a t 70s TV show, and most TV shows back then, in, into the 80s, were solely created by guys either when their careers were falling apart, just starting, or uh, I would say guys that just... That was their sole focus, like Aaron Spelling or Stephen J. Cannell. That's like all they did was TV shows. They didn't go into movies. Uh, William Blinn created this show, and he had done a ton of really groundbreaking stuff before this, so I'm surprised that he decided to do a TV show. Uh, he did uh, Brian's Song, you know, the football movie with James Caan. Right. And he also did Roots. So to go from those two projects into uh, Starsky and Hutch, it must have been something he was really passionate about. Right. And there's something else he did that I, was, uh, I thought was interesting. Of course, he's one of the co-creators behind Eight is Enough and Fame. But there is another show I wanted to talk about um, later in another episode. It's called Pensacola Wings of Gold. Have you ever heard of this show? Um, vaguely. Well, it's one of those it's it's one of those uh, TV shows that was syndicated in the '90s with uh, James Brolin. Now, the creator of it is Stu uh, Siegel. He he's known for just notorious for garbage. The best thing he ever did probably was a Renegade, and that's not that great. <laughs> uh, but Pensacola Wings of Gold it's up on Hulu and we should talk about it later I want you to check it out it's a really good uh, airplane kind of it's like a, the A-Team but if it was dead serious it's like a secret group of military guys led by James Brolin and they just they fly into these dangerous areas and rescue people sweet yeah it's pretty awesome and uh, well yeah we'll talk about that some other time so yeah it's the same creator of Starsky Hutch is the one who created that Pensacola TV show um, the one thing that I love, I think is funny, besides the two guys, is uh, Huggy Bear. <laughs> Huggy Bear is so awesome that uh, even just the pimp wear that he would do, you know, just you like... Know you, wanted to be, you know you wanted to be him, right? Yeah, of course I did. I mean, I know I'm, I'm pasty as white bread, but, you know, I, I thought he was the coolest. And Tony Fargus himself is actually really cool. Uh, some of the stuff that he would do after this. He was really prolific, but he never had a role that stood out as much as Huggy Bear. 
It's a kind of a shame. I, I really like that actor. Right, right. Of course, Snoop Dogg played him in the movie. <laughs> Who else would you pick? There's nobody. <laughs> um, you know, the, the sad part is a lot of these TV shows that we watch, the actors are so good, but yet they never seem to go on to anything else. It's like one out of probably like ten had a successful career post TV show. Like you, look, you know, we're talking about Chips. They didn't really have anything afterwards. Smallville only John Schneider because he had small. Wait, what did I just say? Hold on, I think I just confused things. I must tell people right now that this is the end of a very long day. We were talking about uh, Chips. Yeah, they didn't have anything afterwards. And then Dukes of Hazard, John Schneider had Smallville. I think I really complicated things there for a second. <laughs> but you know, uh, David Soul, he just didn't have anything after this. It's kind of it's kind of weird, you know, this successful show and it was just TV for him. Um. Oh. His name skipped my mind already. Dang it. Uh, Are you talking about the other guy, Paul Michael Glazer? Glazer, that's it. <laughs> I guess he went on to do some theater stuff. I, at least in recent years, he has. Well, you know, he was a director for a while. Fiddler on the Roof? And... He, no, he directed Running Man. Really? Yeah, he directed this really badass movie from uh, Michael Mann. Uh, it's called Band of the Hand, and it's, it's really hard to find, but it's totally worth it. Uh, I should say Michael Mann is also the co-creator, or not co-creator, the head writer on Starsky and Hutch, and he would go on to do Miami Vice. Okay, I missed that one. Uh, Michael Mann and him worked on Band of the Hand, and then Running Man had run into trouble because they had hired, I can't remember the director's name, but they had hired Christopher Reeve, and uh, a fairly well-known director, and they said they could not do the movie for the budget the company had allowed. So they let them both go, but they had to get the production going or they were going to lose the rights to the Stephen King story. So they hired Paul Michael Glazer and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they got it done for like $15 million. Nice. Yeah, who knew? And then that's that. I would say that his career after that wasn't so great. I mean, he did uh, Kazam with uh, Shaq, <laughs> which is not the best thing to end your directorial career with. <laughs> I think he did the air up there, and he did a couple other things, but uh, I don't know how he went from doing... Seriously, how did he go from doing two serious... Uh, or a serious crime movie to doing an outrageous... Like, Running Man is really campy. Have you watched it lately? I've not seen it in years. It's 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 hard to handle now. It's a little cheesy. But then, you know, he just goes off and does all these other children's movies. And I was like, ah, you lost that edge. Did we see Running Man in the theater... Uh, oh, I don't think we were allowed. We were. I was ten. You were eleven. Oh, it's that old. Yeah, Holy crap. it's old. Yeah. <laughs> um. So back to Starsky and Hutch. The best part of Starsky and Hutch, besides the characters, the thing that always be remembered is the car. The car. Now there's the there's, tomato. Technically, <laughs> there are two cars. Uh, there's the junky piece of crap that uh, Hutch drove. That always blew their cover, apparently, every yeah. time he opened his door. But uh, the gra the Ford Grand Torino, what do you got on this? What info? What have I got on the Torino? Well, it was a 74 to 76 uh, Torino from Ford. Originally, this is funny, uh, Blinn wanted a Camaro because that was his darling car. He had a green and white one, I think he said. A green and white Camaro uh, that he loved, and unfortunately... Spelling Goldberg had a contract with Ford Motor Company's leasing program, hmm. so they had to go with a Ford. And Paul Michael Glazer, did I say his name right? <clears throat> yes, uh, hated that car. <laughs> <laughs> he hated it. He gave three reasons. One, 
It was big, ugly, and childish. Second, thought it was ridiculous that undercover cops would drive around in such a car. Yeah, something that's so obvious. <laughs> and three, he didn't like Ford. No counting for taste there. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, I had a 351 Windsor V8 under the hood on both hoods. Um, a few other details. They weren't allowed to show branding, so they had to turn the wheels inside and out. Mm-hmm. And the only time you know what kind of wheels are actually on there, which are Firestone, if I remember correctly, were once they had to get underneath the, somebody was tampering with the car, putting a bar, the brakes, that's what it was. It was the one time you see in the show what brand tires are on it because they're underneath the inside of the car. But I always thought branding was a big thing in the 80s. Yeah, I don't, I don't yes. know what that was about. Maybe it was a, the Ford deal or maybe uh, CBS didn't allow it. Right. Um, uh, wait, do you remember that there was one of these... The Red Tomatoes in Huntington. Was it really? Yeah, I, I can't remember the street it was on, but every time I'd go for a walk, I'd walk past it just like just to get a look at one of these awesome cars. And yeah, it was like in pristine condition. He always had it on his driveway or whatever, and every once in a while you'd see him cleaning it. And when he was cleaning it, it's like he was massaging his baby. He was like, oh, I'll treat you right. Oh, we're going to be together forever. It was it was this close to being like in Christine, where just like you oh wonder God. if that car was possessed, and they were just like obsessed with each other forever and ever. <laughs> My gosh! <laughs> Probably factories. The factory made rep- replicas of this car, or, or I don't know if they actually made them or sold them that way or what it was. But an interesting tidbit was uh, the last season of Starsky and Hutch was when the Duke of Hazard premiered. And in the first episode, One Armed Bandits, that car is in, like, one of the factory replicas is in that. You know what's weird is I just watched that episode of Dukes of Hazzard, and I must have, like, phased that out of my brain or something. Well, oh, that stuck like, right out to me. I was like, that looks really familiar. <laughs> um, you, you, I have a short attention span, so sometimes I get distracted and I'll start reading a magazine in the middle of watching something. I'm listening, but I'm not, like, fully absorbed, which is a terrible way to watch TV. That's all right. <laughs> Uh, I've had, I had on here what, what Hutch's car was. I can't remember. Oh, it was a 73 Ford Galaxy 500. Well, that's not a terrible was, car, but it was awfully run down, if I remember right. Yes, it was a piece of car. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it was a piece. All right. Uh, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Starsky and Hutch, four seasons. And part of it is because uh, Paul Michael Glazer wanted to quit so bad. He quit already twice. And he says because the scripts either were too violent or, which is ridiculous because you watch TV shows now and you're like, oh, that's that's like nothing. I mean, they got shot. We don't see any blood. Just people get shot. Uh, right. You know, the scripts are too violent, and he just wasn't absorbed by the characters. And you know what? I like I was saying. Uh, I watched episodes of season four, and the show was still top notch. Um, they had an episode with Veronica Hamill from Hill Street Blues, who comes on as Hutchinson's wife, and then she's killed. And that was a really like hard hitting episode, and I'm like, what is he? What was he talking about? I mean, I guess he just wanted out of the contract. Some people really right. just hate being stuck in a TV show. Right. If right. I was an actor, I'm not sure I'd want to be on a TV show. I think I would just want to live a career of like miniseries and movies and appearances. Like, what is it like doing the same character over and over and over? I can't imagine. Unless you, I mean, you go to Hollywood, think. I want to go to Hollywood to get one role and be typecast in that role the rest of my life. Oh, God. What Nobody goes like? to Hollywood for that. Yeah, Gilligan, man. I'm sure he got a serious oh. paycheck, but for the rest of his life, he couldn't get a job. Nope. Oh, Gilligan. 
Okay, so oh. our next show, we're going to pause for just a second and set up a theme song for Hardcastle and McCormick. Yes. Take a clue, people. Take a pin. Take a hit. Yeah, why can't they do just 
just print on demand. Uh, Stephen J. Kale owned the rights, but here's the weird thing is that he only owned the international rights, so therefore he could do them in Canada. But in America, Sony owns, uh, I think, both. I think they bo own both, and they just don't have any interest in continuing, which is a bummer. But I just watched Hardcastle McCormick again, and it still holds up pretty well until about the third season. You can see where it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you guys are running out of plots. Man. Right. Oh, you know what's funny is uh, the one thing I forgot to mention in Starsky and Hutch is the fact that most of the scripts, even though it was critically acclaimed in its first season, most of those scripts were unused scripts from other shows. Really? <laughs> yeah, they were just like leftover scripts that were either too violent for the time and they were just updated. I, I was just stunned. I was like, usually that's kind of like, oh, this show is garbage. This is just stuff that wasn't good enough for the high level. <laughs> but uh, Hardcastle McCormick, uh, apparently it was based on a previous idea. Uh, I had to look it back up. I saw it earlier. Like It was a concept they were working out, but it never took off. And they had shot a pilot episode, and it didn't work. So like five years later, they decided to bring the concept back with Hardcastle McCormick. Now, Starsky and Hutch is a very just normal, everyday buddy cop show. Hardcastle McCormick is a little bit different because M McCormick is a criminal. Not, criminal. Like, not like a really like serious criminal. He went to jail for two years for stealing a car. But it was his own car. But for insurance reasons, he signed it over to his girlfriend, which makes no sense. Because how much better was her insurance? Eh? <laughs> I don't know. Well, they had to come up he, with something. What's that? They had to come up with something. We need something here. Come on, you yeah, here we go. Yeah, I mean, he was, wasn't he a race car driver or a test driver? So maybe that's what it was. But he wasn't racing in his personal life, so I don't get that at all. No. Uh, well, what, how does one go from being a race driver to a car thief? Well, okay, yeah. So he goes to jail for two years. He comes out, and he's asked by, oh, I forgot her name. She was in V, the TV show V. Uh, she asks him to steal back a car that was Hold on, I ruined the plot. Whatever it is. You know what? <laughs> Skip the pilot. The pilot's cool. The basic thing is McCormick uh, is going to go back to jail for stealing another car. Hardcastle is a judge who wants to make a special deal with him. He will stay in his custody, but in order to remain a free man, he must go and find these cases that kind of got away from them. People who got through the system through loopholes. Like, literally, like, one guy got out of uh, serving serious time because someone didn't read his Miranda rights off the card, like he did from memory. And so he got off because of that. And all these other cases where just little loopholes where they got out of it. So it's up to McCormick and Hardcastle to solve these cases and bring them to justice. That's actually a really cool idea. It's like kind of like a, a vigilante, but still somehow within the rules of the law. Like his childhood hero, the Lone Ranger. Yes. Uh, Brian Keith, uh, you know, this is kind of at the end of his career. Um, he would still do movies after this, but, you know, his star definitely faded by then. But I think right. it's a really good project for him. Oh, yeah. He gets to be I funny, they, they... and he gets to do some action, you know, and he's, of course, the, the lead that everybody knew. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't remember Daniel Hugh Kelly doing anything before Hardcastle, but I, I know he's done a lot since. I say I've seen him in other things, but I can't pull anything off right now. Well, he did a lot of TV shows. Like, he did the Ponderosa TV show about 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember that. It was a prequel to uh, Bonanza. It was, like, yes. when they were little. He, he did that. He was in one of the Star Treks, the Star Trek Insurrection. 
I remember him in that one. Okay. Oh, I, I swear I just saw him in something else. But he's one of those guys that he's a he's a character actor now. You know, he's no longer a lead, but he constantly shows up and stuff and does a great job. He just uh, he had a few seasons of Hardcastle McCormick where he was a real leading man, and you know he he makes a normal living. It's kind of cool. I say if he. A lot of people I enjoy that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, as long as you're getting paid. <laughs> there's always that moment, of course, where they're probably like, "I know you from something. I know you. Uh, tell me what you're. That's... Tell me, tell me what you're in. I know you're in for something. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me." <laughs> uh, I would remember him from Hardcastle McCormick, but yeah. anything else, I'd be, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, you'd have to go. Over, I had to remind myself with IMDb too. So, right. uh, Hardcastle McCormick was a huge hit the first season. Oh, yeah. But by the third season, it plummeted the second season. By the third season, it was doing terrible. 52 in the ratings, which isn't too bad now. I think it's funny. When you look at ratings back in the day compared to what they are now, it had a 13.9, which would be like the number one show in the, in the country right now. Wow. But this is, you know, we had three stations, basically. Right. Instead of 5,000. Yeah. The internet. I'm almost overloaded. <laughs> yeah, now it's all streaming, and there's cable, and then there's uh, DirecTV. I, I don't know what to do anymore. i tell you what, I we don't have DVR anymore, and I feel like I'm lost. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, I can't watch it all. The only way I find anything is like Netflix and Hulu, and even then I'm like, oh, I want to catch up on this, but now there's this, and then there's this. Oh, I'm still like a year and a half behind Arrow. That's my problem. I, I stopped watching Arrow for a little while because we lost our DVR. And I finally got on board again and realized I missed the first ten episodes. And, and, of course, with streaming, they have these huge catalog of old shows. So, therefore, you're like, man, I'm nostalgic for that. I want to check that out. And then you never really finish anything. No, <laughs> it's, no, a, it's almost no. better that Netflix is focused on doing limited series. Thing. Like, oh, we'll just do six episodes. We're good. <laughs> but now I'm, I've got these six episodes that I can watch, but I don't know what led up to it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> they're no, not no, no, there. No. I mean, like, that's the entire run. Like They have season one, but then they skip season two. Yeah, that's irritating. <laughs> the, anyway, back on track. Yeah, Hardcastle McCormick. The weird thing is its ratings were plummeting, but it didn't really have any competition. Scarecrow and Mrs. King was its only real competition. That was number 28, so... It just What's looks like it looks like people just lost interest. Like I even lost interest. I'm not even sure I even finished season three. Not just because of the glitches, because it just the, the writing just wasn't as good. I was still a kid. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure my mind wandered off to somewhere else anyway. But oh yeah, well that back in the day we used to go outside. Do you remember when kids exactly. went outside? <laughs> What's that? You know that place with the big orange thing in the sky? Oh, that thing that causes you cancer. You're like, damn, you're right. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, Stephen J. Cannell, notorious for creating awesome action shows, uh, probably most famously A-Team. Uh, this is another one of his right at that time that, you know, everyone was doing shows with cars. We were car obsessed. Yes. But he created Rockford Files, Black Sheep Squadron. If you're not a car person but you're a plane person, that's the show for you. Uh, Beretta, Greatest American Hero, one of my favorites, Wise Guy, and 21 Jump Street. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, we got to figure out somehow to do a show about 21 Jump Street, even though I don't think any of them owned a car. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everybody took the taxi. <laughs> yeah, so Stephen J. Campanell and Patrick Hasberg. Hasberg? I'm going to say it wrong. I know it. But they both created this and uh, 21 Jump Street. Awesome. All right, so let's get some details about the car. Details about the car. Well, <laughs> 
here's the interesting thing about the car. Nobody really knows what it's made of. <laughs> Some people think it was based off a, a Manta Montage car kit. Others think it's actually based off the McLaren M6B GT, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, because they were all named that way back in the day. Oh, but, really? <clears throat> so they still are, I think. But um, the closest I can come to is that it's actually the McLaren MX that blah, 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 which was a popular racing car at the time. Um, very flat and low to the well, unit. If you've watched the show, you know what it looks like. So anyway, but actually underneath, for the first season, what was underneath that thing was a Volkswagen Beetle chassis. <laughs> <laughs> With a Porsche you know, 914 you know, engine. Is I noticed the car changed. It's not real obvious, <laughs> yes, it, but you look at it and go, eh, something's not right here. They did alter well, the car, didn't they? They got bigger. Uh, for one reason, okay, one, they quote here something about Brian Keith being not so young anymore. Had a yeah. hard time getting in and out of the old car. So they build a new one, and this one is actually based off of the, get this, a DeLorean. No kidding. <laughs> they took, well, I don't know why they would tear a car like the DeLorean apart for this, but they did. Uh, and that's what you get for the, the rest of the season, well, I believe. Well, back then, the DeLorean wasn't that rare of a commodity. You know, Back to the Future hadn't come out yet, and the company hadn't gone out of business. True. I guess they thought they had many years ahead of them yet. <laughs> but... Oh, well. Okay, so we've been talking about doing Knight Rider, but it's one of those that we're really going to take a long time with because there's so much to watch in the whole franchise. The same thing with Viper. But the car in the second... No, the first Knight Rider movie, you know, the Knight Rider 2000, it's the same car. Yes. Though they I've... obviously changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another one, another citation here, something about the Tasmobile. What is that? Jay Orberg's show car, the Tasmobile. It was after the 2000 pilot, or uh, Knight Rider 2000 pilot, they turned it into this thing. Hmm. And it is now, or as of 2011, was sold and is being rebodied back to the Coyote um, yeah, original. I'm going to have to look at it, that because that sounds weird. It's like the Tasmobile. It sounds interesting. I, I got I to gotta look this up. but. <laughs> Actually, we got a couple minutes. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, no, uh, Hardcastle McCormick, uh, it's it really stands up, at least the first season. I'm not going to say the whole thing does, but if given the choice, I'll go with Starsky and Hutch. But if you're looking for more of an action show and not a cop show, Hardcastle McCormick is the one for you. That It's uh, it moves. The show moves like lightning. Nice, yeah. Okay. The Tasmobile is nothing more than Knight Rider 2000 with a big Taz... Manian Devil sitting out the back of it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> it, anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think we're pretty much wrapped. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the show? Uh, no, other than I really love that theme song. <laughs> Do I don't know? All right, so here, I found the second theme song, the one that replaced it that everybody hated. So I think we should end the episode listening to this. All right. All right. So, everybody, thank you. I can't believe how popular this show is. Yes. The people who have supported us, we've got more feedback than any of our shows. Uh, and people are just like, you know, even if they're not, like, totally into it, they, like, give constructive criticism. Like, okay, so I do apologize for not knowing that much about Then Came Bronson. There were some people <laughs> that were actually really miffed. Then there are some people that are understanding, and then we discuss, well, it's really hard to find some of these shows. So, yes. And we weren't born at the time, so it's kind of hard to find it. 
So, you know, they were like, all right, all right, let's give these guys a pass, you know, whatever. So uh, we'll try not to do that again. Do more research. Yes. Uh, the Dukes of Hazard episode. Man, that the support on that show is insane. And okay. we got much love from the fans. So everybody, thank you. Thank you so much. If you have any uh, double feature, you know, two TV shows put together, let us know. But I think we already have them planned out. Uh, we're going to try what? Can I just a second? Go ahead. Go back to the Dukes of Hazard episode. Can I get a shout out to all the fans of James Best? Oh God, I forgot. Let's go. Yeah. Actually, we've been hit with a lot of deaths lately. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis just died. Um, you know, and then of course James Best died, and then uh, uh, Stan Freeberg. He did a bunch of animation voice work and music. He was like the first Weird Al. He passed away too. It's just like a lot of guys are dying lately. It's kind of a bummer. Been around a long time. But James yeah, you know what? Let's say this. They all have full rich lives. Yes, right. Yes, We will always have that. James Best may be gone, but we will always have that. That's right. That's right. Okay, all so right. Uh, <laughs> all I'm right. signing off. This is Michael. This is Ron. All right. Here comes that theme song everybody despised. Maybe this isn't the best way to end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. If it's off, I'll just stop it. I'm sorry. Awkward silence while we wait for it to load. Sorry, everybody, that was awful. I feel like I was watching TGI Friday, like, next up is Perfect Strangers. And then the wacky adventures of Hard Castle and McCormick, here on ABC. Oh, oh, that other song is so much better. Oh, boy. All right, everybody, sorry for that shit. to Full Throttle TV. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, Ron. Ron. Sorry about the delay in episodes, everybody. I hope the Back to the Future special kind of uh, sated the appetite. Uh, it just uh, kept you nourished while you waited for the next episode. So it has been a couple months, but uh, we decided to come back with a big one. Uh, Miami Vice 
is not particularly known for one vehicle. That's the one thing that's different about this show compared to the other episodes that we talked about is that they kind of had a mixture of vehicles throughout the show. So we're going to discuss the show and uh, kind of chit-chat about little bits and pieces here and there and talk about the cars they used. Uh, Ron, did you ever watch Miami Vice when it was on? I did for a little bit, but it's one of those shows you had to watch without your parents knowing you were watching it. Yeah, I was going to say, we were pretty young for this one. Uh, I remember catching a couple episodes. Uh, it was on after V, if I remember correctly. Right. Uh, they premiered V, Miami Vice, and there was something in the middle for life me I cannot remember. And I remember V like disappearing, and I had no reason to stay around for Miami Vice, so I just stopped. Right. I mean, what, we were like seven or eight at the time this came out, so it was a little over our heads. Now, when V came out, I was all over that. So tell me why my parents let me watch that, but not... I know, right? I mean, they're sitting there eating like gerbils. Their faces would extend, and you're shoving animals down, and they're they're ripping people apart and eating them. We're like, how is this right? on television? <laughs> and that was yeah, on so, at 8 o'clock. Uh, That's the craziest thing, is that was like the family hour. Right. Um, the, anyway. Anyway, yeah. that's another so, show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's we, we should do after we get done full throttle. Totally, we should spend uh, a few uh, episodes talking about like sci-fi shows, cheesy sci-fi. Yeah, well, they anyway. do great ones like uh, Quantum Leap. You know. Uh, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, Alienation was really great. Uh, we're getting off the topic, but yes, that's something we that's were, right. we're talking about doing later. Um, so Miami Vice. The amazing thing is, it's so trend-setting. Everybody was talking about it. How long do you think the show was on? Me, personally? Yeah, how long do you think the show was on? Uh, I'm kind of cheating. I'm looking right. Oh, are you? Oh, <laughs> that's no, not fair. No, but honestly, when I was a kid, I thought it went on forever. I know, so did Longer I. than it actually did, but anyway. I'm starting to discover that with a lot of these shows. Uh, I thought, I thought like we said, Quantum Leap earlier, I thought Quantum Leap was on for eight or nine years, and it barely made five. Uh, Miami Vice was only on for five seasons. Like I, I thought it was on for a good eight, nine years. I thought it lasted longer than Hill Street Blues. It just stuns me. I guess people had a short attention span back then. That's Which another might... one I got to watch. Go figure. Anyway, go on. Yeah, well, no, I was thinking, though, is that I think, uh, I think shows either they burned out their showrunner and then all of a sudden the creativity fell apart, but also back then you have three networks. Uh, Fox hadn't debuted yet, so the budgets and the pressure on all these shows is pretty high. And I feel like if you even lost someone's attention for a second, they would move on. Whereas now, it seems like CSI has been on for, what, 50 years? I think the, yeah, uh, the original like cast is all dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what it is. I think now people are stuck in routine where they want to watch Law & Order. It doesn't even matter what the show's about. They're just used to watching a certain show. Right. And I, I was in that trap for a little while, too. It's not to say that's not a good show, but, you know, moving on. Yeah. Uh, Miami Vice. Now, I heard an urban legend, and I don't – I have no backing up on this, but I was reading a book that Brandon Tartikoff wrote. He was the head of NBC at the time this show debuted, is that he had seen Hill Street Blues, and uh, he thought that there would be a potential spinoff show with two of the cops that are on the show. Have you ever uh, seen Hill Street Blues? I have. Do you Love that show. There, the partners uh, – there was one that was kind of like a country guy. He's a little bit chubby, uh -huh. the red hair. And then uh, his partner, the black guy, uh, Michael... Oh, man, I haven't seen the show in forever. Hold on a second. I feel terrible when I don't know these things. But the point is, is uh, the uh, rumors were is that he was going to give them a spinoff and then it somehow morphed into Miami Vice. But what I've heard more is that someone just wrote down MTV Cops on a, a little pad of paper and gave that to 
the creator of the show, and that's how it started. That's crazy. Two right. words to start a show? How does that even happen? <laughs> it doesn't take much these days. Or in, <laughs> these days compared to that. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, Michael J. Warren was the uh, gentleman I was talking yeah. about. Yeah, uh... the other Michael J. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, Anthony Yurkovich is a creator. For the longest time, I thought it was Michael Mann, but Michael Mann was just the main, uh, the guiding uh, writer, the producer of the show. I lost it. Yeah, and Michael Mann, he uh, he's the one who is responsible for Crime Story a couple seasons later, which is a cool, like, it's kind of like The Untouchables, just a decade later, or maybe two decades later. But um, right. he, he does really good crime movies. He did Heat, he did... Uh, Manhunter, The Insider, uh, Last Mohicans. That's not a crime movie, but you know he did Last Mohicans. That was great. Awesome. The funny thing is that in you know Michael Mann, uh, he never really did another successful TV show after this. Uh, he had a couple like one season, but this is what he's really well known for on television. Even though I believe that he worked on uh, Starsky and Hutch before this. Did he? Yeah, I. Uh, let me look up. I'm actually looking up Jan. How do you say his name? Jan Hammer, the guy who did the music. Uh, I always called him. Uh, crap. I was I, gonna say because that was the comment that left me earlier. <laughs> I, I used to say Jan, um, uh, Jan, but I was like, no, it's it's pronounced different. I was like, oh, sorry. I, I've always called it Jan. So, <laughs> whoops, sorry, dude. That theme song is so catchy. It's so insanely catchy. Yes, it is. Oh, uh, it just like my favorite part is actually when it ends. Like all of a sudden, da 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 you're like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, exactly. Like the rug got pulled out from under you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he is the creator of Vegas, the one with uh, Robert Yurick. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did write on Starsky and Hutch, Police Story. And then he went off to do a really, really great movie with James Conn called Thief, which kind of set uh, – you know how uh, – you've seen Drive, right? The one with – Yeah. Uh, uh, I hate it when I get like this. Um, that kind of like – hard pounding uh it's like uh electronica music it's like kind of like a faster version of john carpenter's music okay you know he's the one that kind of started that trend in movies by hiring a band called tangerine dream and yes. they they're a really great like progressive almost like a purely instrumental band and they start doing scores for his movies and that's how this theme song kind of has that kind of like weird new wave uh techno kind of beat to it they did a lot of those, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Tangerine I, I Dream. Like they did a whole lot of uh, soundtrack type stuff. Yeah, for like, I don't know, 10 years, it seemed like every other movie had their name on it. Oddly enough, why, exactly. why are they in Legend? You remember the movie Legend with Tom Cruise? It's a sword and sorcery movie. Why is there a new wave <laughs> music now, in that? That whole movie is, I don't know, they did too much to try to, I don't know, all the music to me seems a little out of place. Well, it's not the original score. There is a director's cut they eventually put out where it's a whole different score, different cuts, like a half hour longer. The whole thing makes a lot more sense. I think it probably, I mean, to me, you know, to most people, but trying to appeal to a different audience of that era, I don't know. Yeah. To I, bring in the younger crowd, maybe, I or something? No, I just, I don't, I don't like that. Like, New Wave music belongs in a certain place. Lady Hawk has yes. that same thing. Lady Hawk is an excellent right? movie, but it's like, why is there? Awesome a, movie. Why is this orchestra here? This doesn't even make sense. It's like bringing a real, make it sound authentic. Exactly. Um, no. So uh, MTV or not MTV? Uh, NBC was falling apart during the early '80s. I mean, they were absolutely bottom of the barrel. Nothing they put out was working. And then Hill Street Blues started to catch on, and that's what greenlit 
Miami Vice, and then Miami Vice and The Cosby Show premiered really close together, and all of a sudden NBC was just saved out of nowhere. They became the number one network. Everybody was talking about this show, and I was too young to <laughs> get into it. I was like, can I watch? No, it's violent. All right, I'll wait. And the weird thing is... Then the Cosby's... What's that? I say Cosby. That's another show that was on for 50 years, I think. That anyway. one, yeah, a really long time. Uh, I the, Here's the thing is, if you don't catch it at the right time or someone doesn't recommend it to you, you don't usually get into a TV show. I, in fact, right. I tried watching Miami Vice, I think, about four years ago. I watched maybe a handful of episodes, but I got too busy, and uh, I never got back to it. So it's because of this show is I actually got to sit down. I, I got through the first season. Um, it's just it's a lot to take in, and uh, it's hard to sit there and just go, I'm going to burn through five seasons. How do people do this? <laughs> You hear you hear your friends like on Facebook. They're like, "I just spent the entire weekend watch all of all seven seasons of whatever show." You're like, "How did you do this? Did you did you even sleep? Did you poop?" I mean, <laughs> while you're talking to the guy who can beat a video game in one night, there, <laughs> he's up till yeah, four in the morning. We were so, just, yeah, we're talking about this before we started recording. Is um, the video games of our youth? And I do remember like waking up at six o'clock in the morning. I'm like, "You got up early?" He's like, "Early? I haven't gone to bed yet." <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So, anyway. yeah, Dick Wolf, the creator of Law and Order, also came from Miami Vice. He was the main showrunner towards the end because Anthony Yurkovich quit to go on to do other shows. I think, I'm afraid, I've been told by a friend of mine who is a pretty big fan of the show that it does fall apart around the end of season three. It's always kind of a bummer when a show does that because you kind of want it to stop before it gets worse. Do we, uh, so, I say I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, uh, one of the things about the show is the fact that they did just like real vice squads is they would uh, apprehend someone and then use whatever they acquired during that apprehension, like a car or drug money or drugs or whatever, for the next sting and the next thing. They, they utilize the stuff that they would get from, you know, busting these people. So the right. cars, the cars usually didn't stay the same but i feel like don johnson had his own car that he used quite a bit do you have any information on any of the cars well there's two cars that he had uh the first one would this surprise me uh let's put it this way okay so he had a ferrari daytona spider okay could you imagine okay i need a new car i want to go out and buy a ferrari how much do you think you're going to spend oh boy uh four hundred thousand <laughs> Wait, That's pretty up there, but I don't know. Uh, maybe a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar range, depending on which Ferrari you pick. But this particular one, they had two each for forty nine thousand dollars each. Wow! Each. <laughs> it's because they weren't real. Oh, they were kits. <laughs> yeah, they were kits. Uh, Corvette chassis, actually. It was uh, very interesting. Uh, not sure how they got the sound right, or if they had to edit that in or whatever, but. If we want to take all that out and just step back and pretend it's real, it's supposed to look like a 1972 Daytona Spider uh, 365 GTS 4, which, in my opinion, is one of the best Ferraris out of the 80s. Just just for, if you want to call it your everyday car. Yeah. <laughs> which Who's everyday? Is that? <laughs> your, be, your beater Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you... I don't know what season it came in. Um, let's see. Uh, 87 season, third season. Okay. Demolished. I can't remember. I lost it. 
the car was demolished, I think, the uh, in one of the episodes of some along those lines. Uh, the, the Daytona was, so they needed a new vehicle. Yeah. What's the first Ferrari you ever fell in love with? Ferrari? I've never really even noticed. I've always been like, oh, hey, there's a Mustang. Oh, there's a Camaro. I'm like an uh, old-school 70s muscle car kind of guy. I know. Oh, I can handle that. Okay, I'll give you that. It, it's your fault, <laughs> my too, first... I think. You and my mom's. My mom loved uh, 70s muscle cars, and you were oh, always I was like, a little bit all over the road, though. Yeah. I'm never, I'm not not really literally, in, but... I was never really into the imports. Couldn't couldn't afford them. That, that was part of the dream. But anyway, my, my first dream car would have been the Ferrari Testarossa. Probably the most You'd well. Think is that the most well-known Ferrari? It's probably the most well-known, at least from that era. But that was the next car, his next car. Nice. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of information on that one. But uh, obviously, it wasn't real as as well. It had a 1972 Pantera, uh, Di Tommaso Pantera, under it. Well, I guess it saved on money if they were going to use the kit cars. Now, Don Johnson is he the only one that had his like his car? Did Philip Michael yeah, Thomas ever yeah. have like an identifying car? I, I noticed him drive. As I see, I'd, like I don't remember the later episodes with the Testarossa because I didn't quite get to there. But uh, I noticed uh, Tubbs driving the uh, Daytona quite a bit. Yeah, if you Not watch sure the, if you watch the episode, I don't think like, it was his. But what I noticed about the show is it seems like Don Johnson is doing most of the driving. It kind of makes sense because he is from there. And then Philip Michael Thomas' right. character is not always well, from Detroit or Chicago, and uh, so it kind of yeah. makes sense. I don't know where I'm going to Miami. Just point me where to shoot, you know. And that kind of makes sense. But he also had the cool boat too, with the uh, giant alligator. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see. Where I had that here. Okay, boats. So this is the first episode where we have two different, uh, different kind of a vehicle. <laughs> this is the part I love about the intro. You, you dream about living in Miami and. You know, being out in the ocean and everything, running the big boats. He lived on an Endeavor 42 sailboat, which we I don't think we ever saw actually sail. But... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was mostly for living. That's right. But he also had his, uh, well, you want to call it the Ferrari of the ocean. Uh, it was a Stinger 390X, 39-foot, it says deep V offshore racing boat. I don't know my boats, but this thing was huge. It was pretty awesome. Dude. That, the, the intro, man, they really show you not only the odd, like, locales that you weren't used to. I don't think Miami right. was something that was really explored on television yet. But then they just rip it through with that boat. You're like, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> well, here's a really cool, interesting fact. It says here that Don Johnson designed the Scarab XL 43 foot, um, which is another boat I think he ended up using. Uh, in it is a Lamborghini 2 Lamborghini V12 engines. Wow. He designed 650 it? horsepower each. Man, that's pretty cool. How many people get this? Yeah, I started the show and I designed my boat. That's right. Let's see. Overall, the boat cost 300 grand. Wow. That's like a whole episode of some other shows at that time. Uh, Anywho. Yeah, so besides the cars and everything, uh, of course, the cast is fantastic. Don Johnson, he kind of bounced up and down. He had some success, some uh, unsuccessful movies, but you constantly see him. Still to this day, you see him pop up here and there. What happened to Philip Michael Thomas? I have not seen him since the end of the show. That I was thinking good. the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I was watching Dead Bang. Have you ever heard of that movie? Nope. Uh, Don Johnson did it right after... Uh, Miami Vice ended. It's a really great cop movie. It's based on a true story. 
about an agent who ends up uh, working with the FBI to uh, take down some like uh, neo Nazis. Right. And uh, uh, Tim Reed from WKRP's in it. Uh, a couple other really good character actors, but uh, the movie is so he is so good in Dead Bang that I thought he should have been nominated for an Oscar. And that's not hyperbole. I mean, I know my movies. I know how you know what's good acting, what's right. bad acting. And I was like, and I looked at the box office. It made like six million. I'm like, oh, that had to hurt. He's given everything to this movie. Maybe it's because it was too close to Miami Vice. Oh, he's playing another cop. Ooh, you know. I mean, that's why it didn't do Step well. Step out of your box, right? Yeah, and uh, I see it. What Tin Go Cup? On. He was in Tin Cup. I remember that. He was. Yeah, he's a uh, Kevin Costner's rival in Tin Cup. Oh, Don Johnson was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip Michael okay. Thomas. Okay, I was just gonna see. I'm gonna see what else was Philip Michael Thomas in. I think he's just done some voice work for video games. And uh, Lance oh, Vance. What? Lance. He played. Uh, uh, he was the voice of Lance Vance in the Grand Theft Auto. It was Vice City and Vice City Stories. You know what? I forgot. I actually went over this. You know what? I forgot. That both of them What's did. That? They both had albums. Do you remember? Nah. Don Johnson actually had a really big hit. I think it was called Heartbeat. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It was that whole era where certain guys, like soap opera guys, could be like Jack Wagner had that huge song, and uh, you know, yeah. Rick Springfield was crossing over into movies. It's just somehow. So, you know, all you... I need. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They almost sounded like it's like Heartbeat. Yeah, I can't sing very well, but. It was a real passionate song, but then I saw, I remember Philip Michael Thomas had a single at the same time, because they were competing, and uh, his was really weird and gross, it had like strobe lights, and he was covered in oil, and you're just like, do you need a towel? You look sick. Are you okay? <laughs> Makes you wonder if the, the, the strobe lights were giving him vertigo, and he's just like, I'm going to throw up. Well, that was the thing. Oh, no. Thomas produced the music for Mariah's fitness videos in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hasn't gone too well for him. He was associated with that. Uh, you remember Miss Cleo, the Psychic Network. Yes. He was actually the host of that before she was. Oh, oh no way. Yeah. he. Was, uh, I still remember every five minutes. Dude. Uh, it, the minute 11 o'clock hit, like after the news or whatever, every commercial break would have, Hey, Miss Cleo, how you doing? I called my number. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have a fake Jamaican accent, did he? No, but thankfully he got out of that before she got sued. Man, she she lost everything. Uh, I wonder if she was an actress or if she was real. Like it, it was just like a company that decided to hire someone to pretend to be Miss Cleo. What is this? Detective Extra Large? Oh, those are Italian Italian movies. Really crappy Italian comedies. Okay, so it's not what I think. <laughs> no, no, no. What would you think? It was Triple uh, X? <laughs> That's kind of what I was oh, thinking. Oh, well, after like, the Psychic man, Network, whoa. maybe. Uh, I'm looking at the casting <laughs> here. Uh, this sounds absurd to me because it says they went to Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges first. But those guys would have been way too expensive. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, he, uh, Jeff Bridges just came off Tron and Nick Nolte had just come off of uh, 48 Hours, which I think is his biggest hit. That's crazy. Now, what interests me, uh, though, is they went to Mickey Rourke. Who he could have been pretty good, but man, he would have been real method. Right. I don't know. I, I think they did well with where they went. Yeah. I think Phil Mike Thomas he did. Well, I know that Don Johnson he did a great job as Tubbs, but yeah, he is. He's fine. I still think the problem is that Don Johnson is a better actor than Philip Michael Thomas, yeah. and when you put them together, it kind of pushes him down and raises the other one up. Whereas if Philip Michael Thomas right. was just like a, a, a good actor, um, I think that he would have shined better. 
Mm. And maybe he wouldn't have ended up with what such a weird career. Right. Uh, Larry Wilcox was also considered. Um, I wonder, yeah, I was going to say, it didn't seem like uh, he would want to do two cop roles right in a row, but I, be I bet you that he was uh, uh, regretting it afterwards. It became a, such a huge hit. Okay, I'm going to sound like I don't know my stuff, which is not unfamiliar territory. Ah, Chips. Okay, gotcha. Oh, yeah, yeah. Larry Wilcox. That's kind okay. of embarrassing because, yeah, we did do a Chips episode <laughs> a few months ago. Sorry, Larry. Sorry. <laughs> my brain's fried right now. <laughs> um, yeah, not for and, anything bad. And Just... <laughs> Don Johnson was considered kind of poison. There are certain actors who do pilot after pilot after pilot, and they don't get picked up. Or they end up on shows that last less than a season. They're, they're called show killers. And Don Johnson was one of those first people considered to be a show killer. So a lot of people didn't want him for uh, Miami Vice. I think he was perfect for the role, to be honest. Yeah. And they, you know, they paid him crap, too. So he threatened to walk off, and they almost replaced him with Mark Harmon. Oh, no. Yeah, it got real <laughs> close. I mean, I like Mark, but no. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he had done Miami Vice, then he wouldn't have been in summer school. So we got summer school out of that. Right. That's right. <laughs> and you know the nice part about it is a lot of these shows that shoot in like a, a city, like they're set around a, a very particular city, they're not actually shot there. In order to save money, they just have like a crew go in with cameras, you know, and film the city. And then everything else is sh shot in L.A., like on a set. And it always looks obvious. This one, they actually just went to Miami, to South Beach, and, and just it's all there. It's authentic. Nice. That's the way it should be, I think. But you know, and this is uh, it was called MTV Cops. Did you notice there is a crap ton of music in the in the show? Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of shows can't come out on DVD because it's too expensive to you know license the rights to for home video, which seems silly because at the time VHS and Beta existed, and they weren't like you know what maybe we should pay just an extra five bucks get home video rights. No, oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> do it now yeah, yeah it just seemed like because uh there's a, a there's a show i really like called wise guy and there literally is five episodes they cannot release they'll never release on dvd or streaming because they can't afford the music they used in those episodes which is a huge bummer that sucks the same thing with do you remember werewolf it was a fox tv show it was on for like a couple years vaguely yeah, yeah that one was heavy on music it had this same kind of mtv style cutting and uh, they can't put that on a DVD either because of the music. It's ridiculous how it's... I, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's weird. People want their music out there, but then they, they don't want to turn around and give them a little bit of rope, you know? I mean, just a little bit of leeway with it. Yeah, I didn't know what, what kind of, what kind anyway. of uh, money are they asking for. Most of these artists need the money because they're not around anymore. It's not like right. the who. It's like, uh, uh, what's a Walking on Sunshine. I'm sure that lady needed some money for that. <laughs> And, and also the fact that you expose your music to new viewers. You know, maybe they're checking right. out Miami Vice for the first time, and then they're like, oh, that's a pretty cool song. Who sings that? Oh, Katrina and the Sunshine. All right. Or Katrina and the Waves. And then they go buy your CD, therefore you get paid. It yeah. all works out. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah, I'm song. sure they're needing every single hit they can get. <laughs> this is this is an awesome who's a who's list here. Okay, like... Both ends of the spectrum. Suicidal tendencies. <laughs> dire Straits. And then you have Devo. Brian Adams, Phil Collins, Devo, <laughs> <laughs> Willie Nelson. <laughs> awesome. You know, that the, the song by, if the music hadn't been included, you realize how important that first 
episode is with the music by Phil Collins in the air tonight. If they didn't have that, yes. I don't think the episode worked would have worked as well. Right. Right. Oh man. And uh, so you know, the show ended after five seasons. The ratings were dropping. I think uh, they said the quality was kind of going, you know, down the tubes. The violence was going overboard. A lot of people were having problems with it. And I think the the cast was kind of trying to move on. And uh, so the show ended, but we did get a movie uh, about, what, 10 years ago with Colin Farrell and, uh, oh, you know, he was in uh, Ray. You know, Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, he was the villain. Oh, Jamie, my gosh. Uh, Jamie, Jamie, yeah, Jamie Foxx. Thank you. Um, I actually <laughs> didn't like the movie. I, 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 I kind of bombed, so I wasn't really surprised. Uh, the movie shot on digital, too, like real cheap digital. I like Michael Mann. But uh, that right. Public Enemies, he shoots on these really crappy digital cameras that make I mean, my phone has better quality, and I don't understand what he's doing. This movie cost seventy million dollars to make it look good. So Man came back and did the movie as well. Yeah, he did the movie, and uh, it just didn't take off. Right. So that's kind of the end of it. But I would actually like to see the show continue because you notice that Don Johnson has a son. Well, he's, yeah. it's been thirty years, so what? He'd be about thirty-eight, thirty-nine. This is a perfect right. time to bring a new generation to have him be a cop. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Tubbs, you know, like Tubbs' son would be in it too, but it would be nice to see the next generation. Like now, Don Johnson is the captain or something like that. Right. Or hell, I'd, be you know up, what? I'd be up for that. Throw Philip Michael Thomas a bone. Make him the captain. You know, Don Johnson's got other things go. to do. <laughs> it's kind of what I was thinking. But <laughs> All right, so we're well, going well. to take a brief break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Nash Bridges. Dude, I had to stop that. That was awful. <laughs> Our well, next show it. is Nash Bridges. That scene, oh, that was so awful. <laughs> oh. I was like, you come off of the awesome rocking theme, like from Jan Hammer to that. Yeah, I feel like I was watching a 80s commercial. pop. Yeah, well, I feel like a shoe commercial, just like, welcome to ladies' shoes. Or, you know, like one of those <laughs> you see at the mall. That's what they would advertise, you know. Get your penny right. loafers here. Or, uh, you know, like, um, it felt like kind of one of those crappy syndicated shows you used to find on uh -huh. the, the USA channel. Like, oh, Silk Stockings is next. And that's the same kind of theme song. That was awful. So they used four four different songs. Really? Four did they, different did songs. Did they get any better? I don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but obviously it wasn't good enough. So. <laughs> All right. So Nash Bridges is his return to television. Uh, him and Cheech Marin hit it off while filming uh, a Tin Cup. So they thought, hey, you know what, we make a good team. And they had already offered Don Johnson a TV show. So he said, hey, come on this with me. And uh, it was on actually longer than Miami Vice, which kind of tells me that this is the point where people just started getting used to TV shows. Nash Bridges isn't awful, but it's definitely not no. one of those, like, I got to get home. I got to watch, you know, I got to tape this. Right, right. It seemed like the kind of show where uh, Miami Vice was aiming at uh, yuppies. You know, and like cool kids and stuff like that. 
this seemed to be aiming at like your dad, you know, like your your parents kind of TV show. Right. I um, uh, I actually really love this show. To be honest, I I was probably getting at a point where I was getting sucked into the uh, routine as well. But <laughs> yeah, I. What uh, can I say? I no, mean, no, no, no. after I, coming I actually... out to Miami Vice, I wanted to see another cop show with him in it. I liked it. Yeah, I, I watched that, the but... first two seasons like pretty hardcore. Then it got kind of sporadic, but I watched a lot of them in reruns. I think they played on USA like nonstop for like five years. But right. at the same time, it is fluffier. And I'm not sure how people took that at first because he came from such a serious show, which had a little bits of humor here and there. I will say this. I forgot during the Miami Vice episodes, um, there is another partner team that always works with them. Uh, the, the, you know, John Deal and the other guy, uh, they're kind of like the goofy ones that usually do like the the wiretapping and stuff like that. Those guys no, kill me. They're screwing things up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you haven't got to it yet, but episode 18, or no, it's 19 of Miami Vice is completely about them. And it's one of the best episodes because all of a sudden it just completely, the whole episode is completely unpredictable because it keeps bouncing around and those two guys get the shine. It's a really great episode. Awesome. Um, so Nash Bridges is actually created by Carlton Cuse. If you know that name, it's because he worked on The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Oh man, we watched the crap out of that. I have seen that episode, uh, that TV show, so many times. Oh, I love that show. Where can I find that show? It's on the complete series is on uh, DVD right now. In fact, I just saw that Amazon is having a huge sale on it. It's like thirteen or fourteen dollars. Oh, I gotta write that down. <laughs> uh, Martial Law, which he co-created. Uh, do you remember that one with Sam Hong and Arsenio Hall? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was only on for a couple yeah. seasons. It was basically a rush hour ripoff, I think. Right. I never, I never saw a single episode, so I, I shouldn't say I'm being glib. Uh, he also is the executive producer of Lost, Bates Motel, and The Strain. So that dude's not looking for work, that's for sure. People are coming to him. Strain. That's one I haven't picked up on yet. Want to? Uh, he also anyway. wrote some movies. In fact, uh, he wrote San Andreas, which came out a couple weeks ago. This dude's busy. Oh, with The Rock. Yeah. Awesome. Do you think there'll be a point where we forget that it was The Rock, or that'll be until the day he dies? That will be until he dies. <laughs> oh, well beyond the day he dies. Uh, he also co-wrote Lethal Weapon 2, 3, and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Uh, I, I love Raiders of Lost Ark, but my heart is with Last Crusade. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's gotten such a lighthearted tone. I think it's because uh, Temple of Doom is so depressing that you need the family atmosphere and the the off the wall kind of stuff that Last Crusade has. Sorry, I'm reading on, and I forgot his name already. Jeff Perry. Sorry. <laughs> so I saw this. The, the people you realize you've seen before, but couldn't figure out where it was. Yeah. Well, we watch a show called Scandal, and Jeff Perry's in that. He was one of the. Uh, uh, shoot, what's his name? I can't remember his name on the show. I've never seen the show. Harvey Leak, uh, Inspector Harvey Leak. He's one of the the curly headed guy that's. On, uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, he looks familiar. I know I've seen him somewhere before, and I could never figure it out until I started watching Nash Bridges again. I was like, wow, that, that's it. Yeah, that's another show where they had their main duo of Cheech and Don, but they also had the yes. two other guys, Jamie Gomez and Jeff Perry, which were also a focus, which it's fine because sometimes you get burned out on the A story or sometimes the A story isn't working right. and they always have a good B story. A lot of the B stories were fo focused on Cheech and his wife, which was always just really funny. <laughs> but, 
What was it? The, the uh, cuddle bug Halloween outfit. That was the last one I watched. Uh, I, I don't think Cheech anyway. ever gets enough credit. Uh, I, when he left Cheech and Chong, I think he struggled for a while because people wanted to keep him in a certain pattern, and his career was falling apart pretty bad. And this show kind of like brought him back to you know the public eye, and that he could be funny and work without uh, Chong. Right. And then, of course, that 70s show showed that Chong had his own talents, too. And now they're back together, and it's really great. Oh. Oh. You were, you were listening to Cheech and Chong tapes when we were uh, younger? <laughs> like oh, yeah. The... That probably has a big, big, another big reason why I jumped on this show so quickly. But... Yeah, we listened to those tapes, and we watched uh, Born in the USA more than a few times. Uh, like, What's <laughs> happening? What's happening? No, you got to loosen up. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you born? Who's the president? Uh, John Wayne? <laughs> John Wayne? Is that what Dave? Or is that a different movie? Oh, no, 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 that's, that's, uh... That's a different movie. That's, that's up yeah. Hey, Dave. Dave's not here, man. Dave's not here, man. Come on, Dave. <laughs> um, Sorry, we, we do very terrible impressions. <laughs> we don't, do. Please don't hire We're us awful. for that. Uh, there, there's a gentleman, uh, one of my, my co-hosts for Back in Tunes, which is our cartoon show. Uh, he has a way with impressions. He has never done an impression before, and I'll just say something, he'll do it. It, it just, like, comes to him. For some reason, he can't do a Jeff Goldblum to save his life. Um, so, what was it? This is another show where it was focused around one car, right? Was it only Don Johnson's car they really used? Yeah. Um, where'd it go? Yes. And this baby was a Cuda, and she was real. <laughs> <laughs> no kit car crap here. No kit car crap here. Well, and also, they, they, don't, little... they don't cost as much, right? Well, it is vintage, right. though. It's, like, it's vintage. It is now. It wasn't then, but, well, when was this? This is 1970. When did this come out? This is 96, 90... so yeah, 20 years. 20 years, so not quite a classic yet. But... <clears throat> anyway, 1970 Plymouth Barracuda. I really don't have much more to say on that one. <laughs> Except that it's You know awesome. what it is? You know what it is? It yeah. is the baddest of bad that Plymouth ever put out, I think. So was it was it a Hemacuda or just a Barracuda? Uh, it was a Plymouth Barracuda. Oh, because you know, there's the Hemacuda they used in the Phantasm movies. That one's pretty sweet. Okay, not the baddest of the bad, but <laughs> <laughs> next to it at least. Uh, this, yeah, this is another one where they were uh, set with authenticity. They wanted to shoot it in San Francisco, and uh, they were allowed to. The episodes cost a little bit more than usual at the time. $2 million per episode for like a detective show is kind of expensive. It wasn't sci-fi or action. True, they had their shootouts here and there, but it wasn't anywhere nearly as violent as Miami Vice. It wasn't really about action sequences. It was more about the characters and uh, trying to solve the case. Definitely, definitely. It, but it wasn't a procedural show. You know how it seems like every show now is some sort of procedural where it's really sterile and they try to break down every single element of the crime? Which bores right. me to no end. I know people love that stuff because that's not going away, but I can't stand procedural. Uh, when CSI first came up, the first, uh, you know, the, like the 18 iterations of it, I loved that sort of thing, but it got old quick. Like, after a while, you've seen it all, you know? Okay, yeah. this is how they do this, blah, blah, blah. Move on. Something new. But yeah, this is, a, this is a nice medium ground where they tried to solve. It, it's a little bit of a throwback to the 70s kind of TV mm-hmm. shows like Columbo and Rockford Files and stuff like that. That's another thing that kind of like, that's why your parents would like it. But at the same time, we never really experienced those kind of shows, so it was fresh to us. Right. Um, so, the, yeah, there's nothing really to say about the car. It's just one car. It was awesome. Uh, 
the one thing uh, the show lasted six seasons NBC or CBS wanted a seventh season but uh, I don't know if you know this but there's a certain budget for a show and usually networks will cover a part of it and that dictates how much the the main per the main company the production company can spend on the show they were spending two million dollars per episode Paramount was and then CBS was just giving them a small chunk of that like they usually give you about 50 percent and uh, they just couldn't see how they could continue the show with that cast in San Francisco on, on a smaller budget. So they just ended the show. Got a little bit of more information on the engine here. You were talking Hemis. Okay, the originals were 360 cubic V8s, or cubic inch V8s. They came with 340s, and the guy that built the cars replaced them with the 360s. However, however... Hold on. End of production. The Kudo underwent two additional restorations. Oh, crap. Never mind. This is a restored uh, model from the show, which now has a Hemi in it. Moving on. Nothing to see here. (laughs) Dang it. Scratch it. Never mind. Uh, (laughs) The one thing that always amused me about Don Johnson, you watch the first season, his hair is pretty laid down, you know? But did you notice (laughs) as the seasons go on, it starts turning to this giant rooster uh, haircut? It's more frazzled. Yeah, you're like, what is going on here? Is he trying to be Rod Stewart? To the point where it just got insane. Where you're like, oh, thank God it ended because it could have just gone full. Uh, you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember? God, you're not going to remember this. This is such a dated pop culture reference. Um, there was a period of time where MTV was looking for hosts for a TV uh, for uh, uh, TRL. And they just cast whoever came in and they just whittled it down to who was the best. It came down uh-huh. Dave Holmes who you see all the time on FX hosting uh, the movie show. Then you had Jesse Camp, this string bean scarecrow of a man with the craziest hair you've ever seen. Uh, I was waiting for Don Johnson's hair to eventually hit that point, and then it would have been truly entertaining. <laughs> Seriously, look up Jesse Camp right now. If you I am right now. He, do you remember him? Uh, vaguely. He would host a show like this. He would just be like... Welcome to MTV, man, and there's some music. Play a video, and that would be like it. And everybody's like, "Oh, he's so great." <laughs> I was like, "No, he didn't." I don't even know what he just did. I think he just farted on air and passed out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so off the subject. All right, well, so we're done with Nash Bridges. One more show to go. We'll be real quick about this one. We're gonna take a break. Come back with Houston Knights.
Okay, I apologize for how low quality that was. That was really quiet. Could you even hear that? I couldn't hear it at all. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the reason you were just playing static. Oh really? I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm literally holding the speakers up to the microphone as close as possible, and it's still barely picked up. Uh, the reason is is that Houston Nights has never been on DVD like the other two shows that we watched or discussed. Right. You know, Miami Vice. I mean, that isn't like an HD. It's been cleaned up. Nash Bridges is a more recent show. Uh, Houston Nights is kind of an oddity, and the reason we bring it up is because you can see a lot of similarities in uh, Miami Vice were taken over to Houston Nights. It is right. kind of the same feel, the same attitude, and uh, it just had an awesome car in that as well. So I figured we'd talk about this real quick. The show is very, very hard to find. Every uh -huh. once in a while, they'll air it on cable for like a short, brief period. Uh, there are a couple episodes available on YouTube. Um, I, in fact, I think they have Russian subtitles. That's how hard it's to find. But I actually think it's a decent show. I actually, God, I'm shooting myself in the foot here. But at one point, I had access to every episode. Hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of the same setup. Uh, Michael Prey is from Chicago, and he goes down south to Texas, where there's a, a seasoned uh, cop who knows everything about that area. They get together to solve a crime. It's almost the same exact pattern, uh, and they, you know they they they're more of a bickering couple. You know, on Miami Vice, they're just two two dudes, man, just backing each other up. You know, they're kind of a different vibe. But Houston Nights, it was uh, it was almost like a husband and wife kind of thing, where they were bitching and moaning at each other, and it was actually kind of humorous the way they would bicker. Right. Now, did you get to watch any of the episodes? I unfortunately only found one. Uh, yeah, it's really <laughs> hard to find. Uh, what, what was your impression on that one episode? Honestly, I it looked like a show I would have watched. Yeah, it's actually pretty entertaining. The only problem I always found with the show was the things that they would bitch about with each other were always mm -hmm. really petty. And uh, I always thought there was like, really? You're going to reach for this? This is just... Uh, I mean, like, you're like eight episodes in, and they're still bitching about the fact that they would say his name wrong. Michael Prey was Italian. His name was uh, La Fiamma. Mm -hmm. And he kept saying it wrong, and he's like, am, a fam, a fiamma, whatever. I was like, guys, <laughs> drop it. Uh, but the cases were always really good. Um, it wasn't as violent as Miami Vice. It was a little more detective. You know, they had to do more research. Uh, they didn't go undercover or anything like that. But I thought it was a pretty solid cop show. I wish I could find more episodes for you to see. Yeah, I would love to see them. Um, so, there is one particular car that we saw that was pretty cool, so that's why we kind of included it, besides the fact that it was kind of similar to Miami Vice. Uh, do you have any vehicle information? I have very little information on this car, other than it wasn't real. No, it was another <laughs> kit? Um, yeah, it was a kit. But the, that being said, though, uh, it's an AC Cobra. It was a 289 AC Cobra, and the kit's were the thing when that thing came out pretty much. I mean, when it came out, actually, that was like the 60s, I think, some along those lines. But uh, in the 70s and 80s, kit cars started coming out for them, and actually, they're still going strong today. And they're every bit, every bit as powerful as anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so I would be happy to drive a replica <laughs> of one of those any day. So, <laughs> Well, actually, a lot of them today are built on pretty much Mustang parts. Chassis, pretty much, what's the word you want to call? <laughs> anyway, you just chop up a Mustang and throw all the parts underneath the body and you're good to go. It's pretty nice. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, uh, I don't know why the show was canceled. It was on for two years 
and it ranked 34th out of 79 shows, which that's not a, a great rating, uh, especially since there was very little competition back in the day because you know cable just right. basically did reruns. Uh, but at the same time, I know other shows that did much worse that were still on the air, and this couldn't have cost that much money. So uh, yeah. maybe it's just a scheduling thing. They're just like, eh, you know what? We got this other show we want to put in Spy. Let's just go ahead and ditch it, which is a shame. Because maybe if it had gone on for longer, we'd actually be able to find an episode somewhere. Oh, kidding. Uh, I love the theme song. Uh, I, if you get the chance to listen to it, it's a really, really cool, bluesy kind of thing. It has saxophones and slide guitar. And uh, I'm, I'm picking up a guitar this week, and this is probably the first thing yes. I want to I learn how to play this theme song. It's so sweet. And uh, Slide guitar, huh? Yeah. I want to play some blues. I know. It's ridiculous. I'm the pastiest guy with no soul. Hey, that's all right, man. <laughs> Anybody can play the blues. Yeah. Um, set in Houston, Texas, Michael Beck plays the Ranger. Michael Beck, uh, he was in The Warriors. The, the, oh, that's right. Yeah, The Warriors, and he was also in Xanadu. He was uh, <laughs> One of his most notorious things is he goes, The Warriors opened a lot of doors for me. Xanadu slammed them shut. Shut. <laughs> you know, I've seen Xanadu. <laughs> I just saw Xanadu for the first time a couple weeks ago, and uh, I can't really make complete sense of the plot. I'm still like, what? No, that, huh? But it's so catchy that uh, if you even say the word Xanadu, you'll find me somewhere just going, Xanadu. You know, just like, <laughs> or, um, I'm alive. But seriously, it has some good songs. They're by ELO. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, ELO is so good. You can't go wrong with him. Sad thing is, I don't really see Michael Beck anymore. I, I, he uh, he did a bunch of stuff in the '80s, and by the '90s, I think he just retired. In 2005, Warriors opened another door for him. What's that? Oh, the video game, right? The video game. Yeah. Yep. That yeah. was a good video game. I remember that. I loved it. I wish they could have they could have went farther with it, but you know, it's based on a movie. What can you do? So. Yeah. Uh, and then the other co-star is Michael Pere. I will admit that uh, I have seen every single movie Michael Pareda has ever done. <laughs> I went through a phase where I, this is before streaming, before things were really easily available. Once Alice. eBay came into existence, I went around buying every single last one of his movies. And it's all because I watched uh, Eddie and the Cruisers and Streets of Fire as a double feature and I became like, that's the dude! I gotta see everything he did! <laughs> <laughs> uh, sadly, very few of his movies are any good. No. He's just always one of those guys that almost made it. Almost! I say... I he, There were parts in this show where he was his acting kind of... Eh, eh, you know what I mean? Oh, he's the weaker of the actor, yes. But there were points and I, I tell you i only saw one episode so there were points where it actually showed like he had a glimmer of hope but well here's <laughs> of being thing. a serious uh, serious actor as opposed to an action star but he was uh, he actually got really good training the thing is he was never really an actor in the first place he was actually a chef in college and he was working at a restaurant and someone had seen him and they said you should come in for some modeling and because that modeling led to acting work he was on greatest american hero i don't know if you remember that but he was one of the students on all three seasons Really? Yeah, that's how he got his fame, and then he ended up in Eddie and the Cruisers, and then everything kind of came off from that. Ah, but he's not really an that. actor, but he was trained by a very well-known acting coach called Uta Hagen. Uh, you probably won't know what that is, but he's one of those like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. He's like a great acting coach. So he's had some training, and I've seen him in a few movies where he's really, really good. 
Have you ever heard of a yeah. movie called Bad Moon? Yeah. The yeah. one where he fights the German Shepherd? Okay. Yeah, he's really good in that one, even though the werewolf transformation is the worst I've ever seen, but that's irrelevant. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, his uh, greatest movie, I think, is October 22nd. He's a suicidal man. It's one of those Pulp Fiction kind of movies where it's a bunch of stories kind of mixing in together, and they all come together at the end. Right. Uh, there's a, he's like the, the C story, there's like a, the main story, the, the sub story, and then there's a smaller part for him where it's just about him and he's lost everything and he's getting ready to kill himself. And there is a shootout in a restaurant and he goes in to save the day. And it's truly his greatest performance because you see him on the very edge ready to lose everything. And then somehow he finds redemption in saving these other people. It I was, did not. Go ahead. It was a Showtime movie, so it's kind of hard to find, but oh, it's so good. Right. I'm looking through his list of movies, and I did not realize he was in The Village of the Damned. He's only in the first two minutes. Really? Yeah. Uh, I remember we rented this uh, in oh, yeah. college, and uh, he's the one, you know, the whole city falls asleep. Uh, uh-huh. He is the one that's leaving town, and he falls asleep at the wheel, and then he drives into a tree and it explodes. Well, that's got to suck. Yeah. He's had bits and pieces here and there that keep him. Every time you think that he's going to drop down to the point where no one will cast him anymore, something happens. Like, he, all of a sudden, he was in Hope Floats, and that helped. You know, and then he was in Virgin Suicide, that helped. And uh, he's also the villain in a really great horror movie called 100 Feet. He doesn't say a single word. It's all done with, uh, like, uh, like he's wearing a, a blue, you know, what, what do they call a suit? The screen capture suits? Motion capture. Yeah. But yet his performance shines through that. That's really hard to do when it's all CGI and it's a really right. scary movie. Really scary movie. Famke Jansen. Yeah. You know what? We've talked about this more than I thought, but it's because I'm a huge Michael Prey fan. Uh, we well, going on that. The Philadelphia Experience. I, I liked Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. Oh, so you know, I mean, like. Yeah, I like Philadelphia I, Experiment too. Exactly. So I, I, I want to retract what I just said a few minutes ago. <laughs> He's got quite, he's got a few good standouts. But. Yeah, did you see the new Philadelphia Experiment? <laughs> no, I have not. It's a Sci-Fi Channel movie. Uh, it's hard to uh, it's not on Netflix. I think I rented it. But the, the weird thing is he's now the villain in the new one, and he's a really good villain. That'll be interesting. I yeah. might have to see it then. It's like I kind of like that when they uh, when they'll take an actor who was in the first movie and kind of reinterpret where they were. I mean, a good right. actor can switch sides or switch roles. But I've never been a fan of the winking cameo. You know, where you watch yeah. that movie, you're like... Because they keep talking about Adam West being in the Batman movies, and I just don't right. think I want to see him just show up because it throws everything off. <laughs> I also with some of the comic book movies that we or TV shows that are out there now where they're trying to throw... Stan Lee uh, into every single one of them. Well, honestly, I don't mind Stan Lee being in there. It's, just, it's When you think, okay, it was it Supergirl that's coming out, where they're... There's the, all this hype about bringing in... Oh, Helen Slater? Uh, well, Helen Slater in there, for one. And then... Um, oh, I had his name on the tip of my tongue. From uh, oh, Lois Dean and Kane, Clark. Right? Dean Cain? Dean Cain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's because it worked with uh, it worked with Flash. Um, but that's a fluke, I think. I think that the actor who played Flash in the 1990s series is a really good actor. And yeah. you know, bringing him into the new one, but as his father, was a really clever idea. You can't keep doing that though. They did that on Smallville a lot too with the Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right, so I think we hit the end of Full Throttle TV for this week or this month. 
Uh, it's a once a month show. You can find us up on Retro Rocket Entertainment. Once we get enough episodes, I think I'll build a separate page for it. I do apologize. It was we just got hit with uh, little things here and there that kept delaying so the episode. <laughs> so I figured I'm sorry. it's it's your fault, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I figured we could end this with uh, <laughs> the Don Johnson song "Heartbeat." Just yes. So you- so you can remember what this song is. It was huge. I Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Let's see you later. Have a good night.